Sunday morning, reaching towards the afternoon, and me bopping in my ACU. And I'm on my way to church with a double cup. Yeah, I'm on my way to church with Hold a double up. cup. Both cups, show no shame in Jesus' name, man. When I say hold up both cups, I mean show no shame. I mean hold that shame up high. The very thing that the people on the outside are seeing and have an opinion about, God saw the inside of you and still let you in the door. Do you realize what kind of favor and forgiveness that means we're walking in? So come as you are. The doors of the church are wide open. Welcome to church with a double cup. And I'm none other than your brother, XL Wilbur, reporting to you live from the inside. And this is the podcast Bible study that questions God. And before you guys run off because of that last little statement, please give me a moment to explain what I mean. When I say this, this is the Bible study that questions God. In my own spiritual walk, I learned that just because I adhere to the teachings, just because I believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Just because I believe that salvation comes no other way than through believing in Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean I'm going to understand God's word. It takes study. It takes interpretation. It takes application sometimes. We have to live that thing out in order for it to make sense. And one thing I started to do is I got the feel-good verses, the verses of the day, the daily breads, however you might have gotten a devotional or something like that. Those verses may have hit and been what I needed at that moment. But when I wanted to know the nature of the God that these verses transcended time and fit all these different people's situations over time, when I, re- I wanted to know that God's nature, I started to read the entire chapter that that verse came from. So that's what we're going to do with this podcast. We're going to take a chapter a week, and I'm going to do with you exactly what I do when I study on my own. I ask questions. And one thing I realize is this. God ain't going to get offended because he knows you'll never get the answer if you don't ask the questions. And as with every great Bible study, let's open with a word of prayer. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for today's journey. We thank you for mercy, grace, covering us in a wedge of protection to this very moment where we're able to get together and study your word. We thank you for the hearts, the minds, and we pray that they're receptive, and we just thank you for allowing us to have inquisitive minds, minds that ask questions, hearts that want to know, yet still be able to come as we are, knowing that we're not perfect, and knowing that we can reach perfection and strive for perfection through your son, Jesus Christ. And in his, in his name, we pray. Amen. All right, so today we're going to come from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. And it starts as this. I'm coming from the New International Version, and if I do go to a different version of the Bible to make a point, then I'm definitely going to let you guys know. So it starts off, therefore, hold up, there's the first question right there. The chapter starts off with therefore, and it's hard for me to get into that because I know therefore means it's a continuation from something else. And to do our diligence... I'm only going to give you a summary of what chapter one was about. So chapter one, Peter was talking to the new Christians. You got to think about it. Christians hadn't been around or labeled for a long time. It hadn't been long since Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And this new body of believers was still fresh. So he was saying, I'm giving you a living hope because you got to stand firm. You got to stand your ground. The kingdom of God that Jesus preached about is at hand. And we're going to go through some things because we knew and people are still afraid of this concept. But we who believe and we who have seen and we who were there with him doing the work, we have to maintain hope because it's going to get rough. So that's basically what Peter was pepping them up, giving the new Christians some, some, some hope, as it says, living hope. And a couple honorable mentions that I want to point out from this 
chapter 1 is basically verse 3 and 4. As I said, I'm coming from New International Version. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So the Message Bible, in verse 4, it says, Because God was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And what? That future starts now. Now, the reason this popped out to me is because there's a series on Netflix that I watch called Messiah. And there's a Christ-like figure, even though he's not called Christ or called Jesus. But anybody who knows the story knows that that's who he's supposed to be portraying. And the character continually says a phrase that history has ended. And it said it's so fitting that that character kept saying that history has ended. And Peter talks about in chapter 1 that the future starts now, this future hope that we have in heaven. And I, I kind of put that correlation together, and I say I thought that was pretty neat. And I, and I love how the Holy Spirit reveals things to you like that. Another honorable mention from chapter 1 is verse 12. It said, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. So it, it, threw, it blew me away that we knew more than the angels, the people who are, or the spirits and beings that are around God all the time, who are made for his assignment. Those, those beings, they're gossiping about what we already know. We live to see prophecies fulfilled. Because it's basically saying that the people who were preaching this to you, the prophets that were telling you about the forthcoming Christ and the Messiah and the things that were going to happen, they didn't live to see it. But the people that Peter was talking to, us as believers right now, we've seen these prophecies fulfilled. So he said the people that we learned it from didn't even get to see or know what exactly it was going to be when it happened. They thought they knew, but a lot of them didn't know to the fullest extent or were going to be able to live to see it come to pass. So I thought that was really neat that angels are gossiping. Angels, the ones that are supposed to be watching over us, guarding us over us, are gossiping about what we already know as believers. Crazy, right? And another honorable mention is verse 18 from chapter 1. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. What's interesting is the New International Version says the empty-handed way of life. King James Version says the vain conversation received by tradition. And the Amplified Version says the useless, fruitless way of life. Now, if these things are things that were handed down to us from our ancestors, and it says that we were redeemed not by these perishable things, what is it really saying? It's saying that we were ransomed from this way of life. We were ransomed from religion. Because if you think about it, when you talk about a ransom, a ransom is somebody taking something else or someone else from, against their will Calling up someone of close of ownership or close proximity and being like, hey, you love this, right? In order to get this back safely, I need that. And they hold it hostage until you fork it up. So to be ransomed from this way of life, as this is telling us, our ancestors were under religion. The tradition that it talks about in the King James Version, that was the law, the Mosaic law. The thing that all these sets of rules, all them long books of rules, yeah, that's what that tradition is. So we were ransomed from that tradition because that law was built on merit and not mercy. So 
when you talk about merit and not mercy, and you talk about being rescued from this religious mind state, it's basically thinking that you got to go to church on Sunday, Bible study on Wednesday, pay your tithes, be good to people, don't smoke, don't drink, don't listen, uh, don't listen to obscene music or watch obscene material. Those type of things will keep you in right standing with God. But God really just wants a relationship with you. He, the rules are going to come because he's going to change you if you let him change you. So the thing about it is we were ransomed from that. So we were held hostage, as a lot of us were, and I could say I was one of them, to think that all those rules followings would keep me right with God. But his mercy endures forever. So it don't mean if we mess up, if we drop the ball, if we fall short, his mercy is going to cover that. And we were redeemed from that, that life to think that the, keeping these rules were going to be what kept us in right standing with God. No, his, his love is too great. So mercy overtook that merit. And that's the kind of life we were ransomed from. So silver and gold couldn't buy us back as with man trying to kidnap us and take us somewhere. It was the sacrifice of Jesus' life that paid the price. And the last honorable mention I'm going to talk about in chapter 1, and this is a big one, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you did not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the foundation and the outcome of our faith. That's what it's all about. Even though we don't see him in the physical, guess what? He's still there. We still believe it. And it gives us an inexpressible and glorious joy. A lot of times we don't understand why we still have this joy. People have to ask us, why are you still so happy? I know what's going on with you. It's because we believe in a Christ who sacrificed for us. So what I'm going through can't be half as bad because even in the face of adversity and getting beat to a pulp like he did, he still loved me enough to go through with the process to save my soul. And they talked about receiving the end result of your faith. The end result of your faith is basically the salvation of your soul. You are not condemned to a burning hell. You have a place waiting for you in heaven. Like it says, a future in heaven and the, and the future starts now. History has ended. Your past is over with. Quit going back to live in it. It's basically what Peter is telling these new believers and telling us right now. And that leads me to this next question. Is that you, chapter two? <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have made it to the subject matter of our very episode. Chapter two of the book of First Peter, verse one says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And this is basically an extension of chapter one, of course, but it's saying a portion where Peter referred to what God said about be holy as I am holy. So this verse is telling us be holy, not hateful. There's no room for hate, grudge, hypocrisy, envy, slander of any kind or any malice or deceit when you're looking to obtain the holiness of God. And then verse two and three basically says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This reminds me of a campaign that I saw growing up and basically said got milk and it was to bring awareness to the benefits of milk in your daily life. So I asked myself, there are a lot of illustrations in the Bible where they use something in the physical to express or explain something in the spiritual. And I wondered why they use milk, why they chose to use milk. 
And I thought about it, I said, because breast milk is natural. The first thing you get when you come into this natural world is milk. They give you milk to nourish you. And just like newborn babies, you have to crave this pure spiritual milk. And the Amplified Version adds the word unadulterated. So a term used by the young people today is no cap. No cap milk. This is what this is. No cap milk. Unfiltered. Natural. This is what we have to do. And it says, you have, like newborn babies crave milk. We as newborn babies in Christ have to crave this pure spiritual milk. Those of us who are getting back on our journey and choosing to build a relationship with God and the reason we're here at this very Bible study right now is because we are craving the pure spiritual milk. We want it pure. And in getting it pure, we have to ask these type of questions. So the next one I have in verse 4 is talking about the living stone. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Now, this basically says, you know, the living stone they talked about that was rejected by humans is Jesus. But it says, you also, me also, we are living stones too. We share in this right and responsibility. Not only are we living stones, but we're a holy priesthood. He <laughs> adds some more to that. Not only a holy priesthood, but one that offers spiritual sacrifices. And not just any spiritual sacrifices, but ones that are acceptable to God. Father, you putting on some pressure. I tell you, <laughs> if you look at it for what it is and how that stacked up to it, but you got to know he's going to equip us for that. He's going to build us up for that. We are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, as it says here. And if we are living stones, that means, yeah, we got some backing on us. We got some strength behind us. We got some solidarity behind us. If only we trust and believe. And then we talk about verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now I had to reference where this actually came from in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. In the message version, this says, Watch closely. I'm laying a foundation in Zion, a solid granite foundation, squared and true, and this is the meaning of the stone. A trusting life won't tumble. Even though it says something about setting the foundation, like rock or stone, it said the meaning of this stone is a trusting life won't tumble. In the Amplified Version, it says, he who believes, who trusts in, relies on, adheres to that stone, will not be disturbed or give way in sudden panic. So that means you can't, you're not going to fall shaky if you trust in, adhere, and believe in the stone. Because you are a stone as well. But why I ask, did they reject this stone, this living stone, Jesus, in the first place? And Jesus actually is the one who answered this question as I looked it up and looked for it. He said in Matthew chapter 10, 34 through 39, Jesus says, and I quote, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And guess what? A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So in text, Jesus is basically saying, accept me or reject me. As Waka Flocka will put it for the streets, salute me or shoot me. Is what basically Jesus is saying. He said, because you're going to have people that's right in front of you that ain't going to be down with what I'm down with. They ain't going to be about this kingdom of God that, that you know about now. They're not going to be with it. So... I didn't come to bring peace because there's going to be people who are going to oppose what we got going on. 
And he goes further in this chapter 10, verse 37, to say, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And in reading this, you know what I did? I had to go into the mind of new believers and people who may not believe for one reason or another. And they see something like this and they'll be like, why would I serve a man? Why would I serve Jesus? Isn't he just a man? Doesn't that replace God and the need for him? And somebody who doesn't believe or doesn't know or doesn't choose a study could be easily persuaded by a non-believer on this one. But I had to make it plain. I thought about this thing. I asked for understanding. And God told me just like this, look, I didn't just put on skin to live out the human experience through my son Jesus. But I chose to battle hell afterward. I could have easily came down in human form through my son Jesus, lived it out. Like, oh, cool. This what y'all got going on? Hmm. Oh, that's how that works. Man, it, it feels a lot different than when doing that in the spiritual. <laughs> and it feels different in the human, in the human sense. I, I get what y'all saying now. I understand this. And then he could have been like, all right, cool. I got a good feeling of what it's like to be human. I'm going to peace out. And man, it could have been gone. That would have been it. But he chose to go through the human experience, actually grow up 33 years on this earth, do all these things through the flesh, and guess what? Battle hell for our sakes afterwards, just so we can be closer to him when he get back to the spiritual. You know what I'm saying? He chose to love us that much that he went through our experience and still battled hell on our account after they crucified him. He said, if you didn't see me hovering as a cloud over the Israelites... If you didn't see me through the David and Goliath deal, if you didn't see me through the prophets, then maybe you'll see me now. That's basically what God was pretty much telling us when he did that. So to ask why serve a man, why serve Jesus, why believe in him, that's basically it. Because God's love was so strong that he put on, the human, he put on flesh, he went through the human experience, and he let them beat him up, and he sacrificed himself for us. When he could have just left it alone and just like, all right, cool, I know what it feel like now. All right, I'm going to go. He loved us enough to battle hell for our sakes afterwards to the end result of our faith, as it talked about in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, the salvation of our souls. So as we go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That glow up was real. And they talk about glow-ups. That glow-up was real because the stone that they thought they didn't need was the very stone that could create the foundation that they build on. Now, without the foundation, what you got? A cornerstone is a foundation rock. Nowadays, they put the cornerstone out front of monuments or buildings, and they have like the year it was um, dedicated or the year it was actually built or when the construction or the story of the place but that's called the cornerstone. But in turn, the cornerstone is actually the rock that puts everything into balance when you're building the actual building. And they said Jesus was the one they rejected, but he ended up being the one they needed. That glow up was real. And you got to look at it like this. Verse 8 says, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. In the Message Bible, it says a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. 
So I had to get some understanding about this because I'm like, all right, cool. You're going to tell me you're a stone, I'm a stone, but you're going to tell me about how this rocks makes people stumble and makes them fall. Tell me more about this, Jesus. And he basically took me to Isaiah 8, verse 14 in the message. It says, it's either a hiding spot or a blocking boulder. And verse 13 of that very same chapter of Isaiah 8 in the Amplified says, it is the Lord of hosts of whom you are to regard as holy and awesome. He shall be your source of fear and he shall be your source of dread, not man. So it means let God be your all. The fear of man equals distrust in God. It's basically what that's saying if you want to put it all in a nutshell. God wants to be your all. If, if, he, if you're going to fall, let him be the reason you do. If you stumble, let him be the reason you do, because he's going to catch you in a way that can't nobody else do it. And why be fearful of man when God has it all under control? God just wants to be our all. That's basically what they're saying. So verse 9, but as we go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, But you are a chosen people, a, holy, a royal priesthood, excuse me, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. These are the privileges of God's people if you break it down. Chosen people, once exclusive, but now available to all. Once just for the Jews, but now for everybody. Second, a royal priesthood. Once separated realms are now conjoined because royalty and priesthood were separate at one time. Then you talk about special, and one version says peculiar people, which a lot of, a lot of Christians like to use that. We are a peculiar people. It means ordinary becomes extraordinary with God working in them. The average becomes the standard. And just like people who are listening to this who may feel like they ain't up to, the, ain't up to par to do God, God's work in the earth, who may still be trying to get an understanding of who God is, this is for you. We become extraordinary when we see ourselves as less than because God is working in us. That's the power we hold. So you just put your name in the blanks when you're reading this type of stuff. When it comes back to like the, the Jewish format or talking about um, things in the, the past, the Old Testament, I always put myself, put my name in the blanks for a better understanding of the Bible because it could talk about the people um, Peter was talking to right in front of him. But when I put myself in it, I get an understanding that God's talking to me too. And that's just something I want to share with you guys. And verse 10, once you were not a people... But now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. What a change. You did what I'm saying? They said you rejected, but now you're accepted. Why did God accept the Gentiles is the question I asked at this point. After repeated disobedience of his chosen Israel, he came in the flesh as Jesus, as we talked about earlier. He lived it out, yet died for all to be included. See, this COVID is causing the government to be unusually generous to the public, don't you think? <laughs> and all are being allowed access to these funds. So that's one way I can put it to you in an example of what it's like for God to have his chosen people, Israel, who kept disobeying him, then coming in the flesh as Jesus, sacrificing himself so that everybody could get a piece of that pie. Crazy, right? <laughs> but that's the God we serve. So we're looking at verse 11 and 12 as we move along. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So that's saying live an exemplary life that refutes their prejudice. And 
I basically take this personally as a way of destroying the stereotypes. They're going to see you a certain way, but you got to live a life that shows who you really are. And one thing I learned is I had to destroy the stereotypes. I had to quit sagging my pants. I had to I mean, dress up, not to impress people, but because my way of life and my way of thinking had changed. So you can't stereotype me for being one person when I'm not that person on the inside. A lot of people judge from the outside. And you got to think, it caused me to lose fear and start killing stigmas. I realized, man, that I'm not, I don't want to be a person that gets nervous every time a police car pulls behind me. I didn't want to keep being that person. I killed them stigmas. I wave at the police. You don't, you don't scare me. You don't have anything on me. God is real and God is on my side. That's how I had to start looking at things. And when you fit a description, they don't expect you to wave. And one thing I realized with the whole tension that's happening in the world right now, or in this country per se, is basically that they expect your ignorance, not your intelligence. So to be a godly person and live a life that they're going to have to give it up for, like, yo, it's something on them. Leave them be. And sometimes they may ask you, what is, what, what do you what, how do you accredit this joy? What do you accredit this joy to? What is it, what, why ain't you scared? And you got to say, man, I'm not made in the spirit of fear. And then you're able to witness. And that's basically what that verse is saying right there. Then we talk about verse 13 through 16 where it says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now you know what my next question was for God as an Afro-American man in the United States of America. Why I gotta be a slave? Why do I gotta be a slave? You already know what your people, your people of color feel and the connotation they have towards that word slave in this country. I was rocking with you until then. Like, what, what happened? Why would I have to be a slave? And you got to think about, this is the mind of a new believer. So, like, God pretty much put me into a game of would you rather. And he said, would you rather work for nothing, for one who can give you a little at a time? Or would you rather work for nothing, for the one who can give you everything? When he spoke that to me, I was like, yo, I'm, I'm all aboard. I got you. I understand what you're saying. I'm digging what you're saying, God. I understand that. <laughs> and I was with it. And that was just like revelation to me. Because people are going to see that word slave, and it's going to tear them from wanting to do anything. They're going to start listening to the talk of non-believers that's going to point that out, and that's going to be the only thing that they see. And they're going to associate that with everything else that they hear about the Bible. And they're never going to look at it the same. But as us as true believers, if we start asking questions, like I'm telling you, when you read the Bible, ask questions. You will get your answers. And as we look at verse 17 through 20, it says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves in reverent fear of God. Submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it is more commendable before God. So this is self-explanatory. 
Not that he wants to see us suffer, but if you receive a punishment for doing something wrong anyway, what's the point? Like, you don't get no badges for that. You don't get no stripes for that, for real. You deserve that. I deserve that if I do wrong. But God says it's more favorable in my eyes if I applaud you, if you withstand it and you do good and you do good and you still suffer for it. They're supposed to oppose you. They're supposed to prosecute you. They're supposed to be against you for doing the right thing because everybody ain't on the right path. It's a narrow path is what it says. So God commends that for suffering or doing good as opposed to doing wrong. And then we look at verse 21 to 22. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Now, one thing I can ask is this. How can Christ be the example if he never sinned like me? Oh, this is a good one. If he never sinned like us, how can Christ be the example I'm supposed to follow? Especially with that tall order you just said about suffering for doing good, right? And it caught me in the moment. It came to me as quickly as I asked the question. God said, an example doesn't give you the answer to every question on the test. It just shows you how to work it. Mm. Somebody caught that one. An example, if Christ is the example, though he never sinned like us, if he's the example of how to handle these situations, we have to know that an example doesn't give you the answer to every question on the test, does it? It just shows you how to work it. Mm -mm. That's some confirmation. That's some good stuff right there. And then we're looking at verse 23 to 24. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is Peter giving him the game, said, by his stripes, we are healed in another version. I actually got a tattoo that like, resembles that actual verse because I got tiger stripes or marks or scratches on my arm. One of them has a cross at the top of it in reverence to that verse. So it says, by the bruises put on him, basically what they're saying, the bruises I put on myself disappear. And I, I'm speaking to somebody who's listening to this right now. The bruises put on him, by those bruises, the bruises I put on myself, they disappear because he's taking the rap for what I should be getting. Jesus took that, took that hit when I should have been the one popped. You get what I'm saying? So by his wounds, you have been healed. By his sacrifice, by his crucifixion, we were healed. So everything that we've ever put on ourselves, it disappears once we believe and know that his sacrifice cleared up mine, cleared up my need to sacrifice myself in the physical. His physical crucifixion and his battle against hell is what won me my freedom, is what cleared my skin up. Say, Jesus is my Neutrogena. Say it with me one time. <laughs> so we got to look at it like that. And as we go to verse 25, it says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here we go again. I was all good until you said the sheep. Why do I have to be a sheep? And it's mainly because sheep need a shepherd, someone to lead them and assure their safekeeping because they don't know it all. We don't know it all. And when we realize that, we don't mind having a shepherd 
We don't mind having someone to lead us and teach us that we can trust. And I have to reference verse 8 in the King James Version of this very same chapter because it was called the rock of offense. If you choose to let the word offend you, it will. And that scrapped me from ever thinking like that again when I see stuff like sheep, slave, or things that I put a connotation on already in my mind based on what society tells me. It said basically he's a rock of offense. So if you choose to let the word offend you, it will. And I also had to reference Isaiah chapter 8, 14 in the Amplified. It says, then he shall be a sanctuary, a sacred, indestructible shelter for those who fear and trust him. And so it's telling you to let your guard down, place yourself in them verses, and ask questions to learn God. Get, in his, get, get closer to his nature. That is our playlist right there. That is our rap sheet. That is basically what we got to do. We got to let our guard down and place ourselves in the verses and ask questions to learn God. That's the technique. That's what this podcast is all about. It's asking the questions, giving us notes, and putting us in the verses. A lot of us read it as a historical book when it talks about how God brought the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt and those type of things like that because I did it. But when I start putting myself in those verses, I start putting my name in those verses, I start seeing some similarities in some of their situations and how they dealt with it and wanting to know how they dealt with it, man, it opened up a whole nother book to me than the one that was sitting right in front of me. It started opening up the book of life, you know what I'm saying? It was right there in the room with me. So this is what we have to do. This is the technique we have to look at. Because sheep are simple creatures, as we should know, and we should be. If we ever overcomplicate God's word, it'll never make sense to us. An open mind and a prayerful heart, I always come looking to receive. The Bible is the bank that never runs dry. As you can see, when Jesus talked about living water, that's just another term for a wealth of knowledge. That concludes our study for this week, brothers and sisters. I thank you guys for allotting me some time to walk with you through the scriptures. We're going to do it again next week, get a whole nother chapter, break it down brick by brick, ask questions, and get to know God's nature. So I thank you for giving me your time. I pray, you sh I pray it helped you. I pray you share this with somebody else that may need it and let them know that we're doing this again next week, every week on schedule. We got it. So with that being said, you can reach me on Facebook, Instagram. This, this podcast is going to be posted initially on SoundCloud and Spotify. Spreaker, and as other outlets become available and they're posted to those outlets, I will definitely let you know through my social media pages and the website that is soon to come. So with that being said, tell your people, come on back. Doors of the church are open and oh yeah, it's cool to bring your double cup. Blessings and ammunition. There's none other than your brother XL Wilk. Love is love. Love is power. God is love. So there is no fear in him and in our weakness, he is strong. Thank you Lord for my faith from beyond blessed. Just to know with you I'm safe, I overcome stress Walking in the dark, Tennessee Titan Let your name be magnified cause I survived the war twice Lord knows I used to come to church for the wrong reason Pastor